let's talk about digital identity, the podcast connecting identity and business. I am your host, Oscar Santolaya. Hello, and thanks for joining today. Today it's time to talk about financial services and one of the implications for digital identity. For that, let me introduce you my guest today. Elka Hyvonen works as the head of cybersecurity at Sojeti Finland and has 10-year experience in security consulting. In his free time, he likes to do sports such as running, biking, and swimming. For the ones who are not familiar with Sojeti, Sojeti is part of Couchgemini Group and offers advisory, implementation, and managed services in 15 countries. In addition to digital identity, Sojeti's cybersecurity services covers cybersecurity strategy, application security, and detection and response services. Hello, Ilka. Hello. Very welcome to having you here, Ilka. My pleasure. <laughs> nice. I hope you're having a good day. And you told me it's uh, well. We are both in Finland, and we have a sunny, sunny day. You're in Helsinki, correct? Somewhere. Yes. Right. Yes. So, so we have. We can see the the same almost sunny autumn <laughs> autumn morning. Yes, it is nice weather for Finnish autumn. <laughs> exactly. Excellent. It's really great having you here. So, Ilka, let's talk about digital identity. And the first things I would like to hear is what was your journey to this world of digital identity? Yes. So I have a background actually in telecommunications, so not a security background originally. And after I graduated, I went to work for a big technology consulting company. And I got assigned to a digital identity project as one of my first projects. And I guess I sort of got hooked into the world of security and digital identity. I like security and digital identity because you get to work with a lot of different things. Like you have to understand the technology, such as protocols, protocols and applications that you are securing. You have to understand the business drivers and the sort of assets that you are protecting because it's really important to understand those as well. And then, especially in digital identity, you have to understand the human aspects, such as usability mm -hmm. and how the users are behaving. Because if you, for example, try to enforce two strict rules, the users can find some clever workarounds for things, such as using the same passwords everywhere. Mm -hmm. So I've been working in security for about 10 years now, and I work a lot with digital identity especially in the financial services industry. So that's my journey so far in digital identity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, excellent. So you started in telecommunication, but you get somehow enchanted, if you can call it, with cybersecurity, and, and now you are into digital identity. Mm -hmm. So I would like to know, from this perspective, that you already have a few years working continuously on this. What do you think are the, the main challenges in digital identity, especially in financial services that, happened today. So let me explain a bit more about the sort of macro trends that are happening mm -hmm. in, in financial services. So of course, the regulation is there because financial services is a very regulated industry, and that has been a big driver also for, for security, such as anti-money laundering and requiring strong authentication for end users because of banks are all about the customer trust and protecting their money. So that's a very big driver that has been there for a long time. And the regulation is changing all the time, becoming more strict. And there are also other changes, such as the banks and 
other financial service companies like credit card or payment processors are becoming challenged by these startups, often called financial technology companies or fintechs, mm-hmm. and they can uh, offer very easy to use convenient services without any of the legacy that these banks or insurance companies have to deal with, such as compliance and regulation and also legacy technologies, because many banks are, for example, still running their core banking system on mainframes, for example. And also the competitiveness of the market. The interest rates are, for example, very low and the banks have to really find ways how to be competitive. So they have to think about things like user experience, how to seamlessly use the services in in different channels like mobile or web or even smart home devices, for example. So there's a lot of different trends that also affect digital identity when you think about the consumers, what are their requirements and what are the regulation driving the industry and so on. And also the regulation affects not only security, but the business enablement, for example, the banks have to open up some of their APIs mm-hmm. to competitors and, and these fintechs, for example, in EU, there's this PSD2 regulation. Uh, it means that the banks have to open some of the payment APIs to other companies. So there's a lot of changes involved in uh, financial services, which has been uh, traditionally very conservative industry, actually. Yeah, exactly. I think this is a good uh, good summary of what's what's been happening in the last years in the financial industry, and that of course shows some of the challenges. And if we focus on how identity and access management CIM particularly, of course, we're facing the customers uh, customers from the from the banks or financial services. How do you think uh, CIM is is helping into these challenges? So, um, if you think about the Regulation, for example, the general data protection rules, for example, you really have to manage the customer's data securely. So you might have uh, millions of customers, you have to manage their digital identity and how their data is, is being accessed and managed. So you have a large amount of customers you have to manage. You have to offer authentication methods that are user friendly. If you think about the usability perspective, You have to support services in different channels like mobile, tablets, web, smart home devices. So you have to manage the relationships between users and different devices, different channels. And then these companies might be working in many different geographical regions that might have different regulation, which affects digital identity as well. What are the rules for authentication methods and so on in in different countries. So uh, customer identity and access management can sort of be an enabler that actually enables these financial services companies to do the business in this digital world, especially now that people are not maybe able to go to their branch office. So they need to be able to securely handle the business from different places. They need to have a strong ways of authenticating to these services Um, and they also are used to a good user experience so customer identity and access management is is a technology that can help with all of the sort of regulatory challenges and the sort of technology enablement that you need today in today's market 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is how CIM is helping the financial institutions. As you said, that one concrete example is that people are, because of the pandemic, it's more difficult, has been at least for some time, to go to and visit the branches. So people who were used to do that cannot do it or were not able to do it for a long period or was more difficult or more risky. So Core having all these processes online and very easy and very secure way. So it's, 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 it's very powerful. In, and I'm sure that financial institutions that were already prepared for that, that already had these processes online, were took advantage of that. Mm-hmm. And especially in the Nordic countries, we have been very sort of advanced in these ways. We have been able to do mm-hmm. online banking for, for maybe 25 years. But even in Central Europe, uh, things are a lot behind. But on the other hand, in, in uh, for example, in India and Africa, for example, there is no traditional banking infrastructure. So they are going straight to digital mm-hmm. or mobile, so to say. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. See how, how is it different also in, among countries. Mm-hmm. I also know that your team is working with another of the challenges that came, especially with the pandemic, talking about the, the remote working and a concept mm-hmm. that is becoming more and more, you hear it more and more, you see it more and more, it's zero trust. So if you could tell us what is zero trust? So zero trust is more about the sort of employee and access management. So the traditional sort of security architecture has been that uh, people used to work from corporate network, accessing the resources in the corporate data center usually. So you were basically allowed access to different applications and data just because you were in the corporate network. So mm-hmm. Zero Trust concept originated maybe 10 years ago from companies like Google that used it for their internal network. And it's about managing access in a fine-grained way. So your data might be in, in different cloud services. You might be on the go working from a cafe or in, in this situation, people working mostly from home. So they are not in the corporate network and the applications and data are much more dispersed instead of just being in the corporate internal data center. So you ne- need to have a different way of managing access than just that you are in the corporate internal network accessing these different resources. So you really need to identify the user continuously. So you need to know who is the user accessing different things. You need to have fine-grained access to data and applications. You need to manage the devices. So what are the devices that the user is accessing the data with? So you need to know them. You need to be able to trust them. So it's all about identity and authentication and authorization as well. So in this situation, you can easily see that when most people are working remotely, the sort of old castle and moat architecture doesn't mm-hmm. work. You have a clear perimeter that when you are inside the perimeter, you are trusted. And if you're outside, you're not trusted. So zero trust is about changing the whole mindset to be more fine-grained, that you are never explicitly trusted, that you have to do continuously validate the trust in different mm-hmm. ways. And digital identity is one of the technologies enabling zero trust. Mm-hmm. And 
Have you had uh, many of your customers, the companies who work with Sojeti, calling you, contact you, telling you, okay, we wanted to enable services for our remote workforce, but we are struggling. We don't find it easy. Have you been contacted often, many times, especially in the last months or even now? So, yes, I would say that a lot of the maybe more conservative industries have had challenge in the quick transition to mm-hmm. remote work. Now, now, of course, it has been already about six or seven months of remote working so that they are <laughs> now getting used to it. But in many organizations, there has not been the sort of culture of remote working so that the norm was to just work at the office. So they didn't have the technology such as VPN or zero trust architecture mm-hmm. to enable every office worker to work remotely. So yes, there has been a lot of changes in, in the whole technology and of course, cultural mindset in uh, remote working this year. Mm-hmm. All right. So that has kept you and your team quite busy as well. <laughs> yes, that's, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just to know also from your view, you have been working with several types of companies. Which sector of type organization have been affected the most, we would say, when moved to remote working? I would say that the more technologically advanced companies are already before this pandemic mm. used sort of remote work but it's definitely the more uh, conservative industries like public services that uh, have had most challenges because they are used to sort of traditional office working culture and have not had the technology to enable large-scale remote work Mm -hmm. sure Okay, coming back to the financial services, one something you, you mentioned already among the challenges is about payment. You mentioned PSD2 is the regulation, payment regulation on the European Union level. What do you say is the, what's right now the situation that you see in digital payments today? Well, of course, also this current situation affects the payments since we are not able to go to <laughs> all the stores and buy things mm. and pay them with the credit or debit card. So people are buying more things online, which has also accelerated the use of digital payments in this situation. Of course, I would say that in this digital payments area, also Nordic countries have been um, sort of the forerunners. So we are all almost becoming cashless society nowadays. But in Central Europe, for example, it, it's um, the development is, is a bit behind. I would say that this digital payment will grow very quickly in the future as well. And people are sort of demanding more. We're talking about frictionless payment, so it's becoming more easy. And of course, you need to manage the security in in that digital payment as well. So you might be using biometric authentication or other ways to authenticate when you are actually making the payments. And there's also things like anti-money laundering that you have to think about. So there's also technology and regulation that you have to think about when developing digital payments. So you think, for instance, that they are becoming more more secure, the digital payments, because that's one need, one one requirement, that because, of course, there are more bad actors, there are more um, criminals also. You feel that they became more secure in this in these times as well? Yes, I think they are becoming secure because they have to. There's uh, regulation that... Uh, sort of enforces accountability for the payment providers. At the other hand, uh, the payment providers want to make things more usable for the end users. So they have to figure out how to make the payments secure, but uh, very user-friendly at the same time. 
So there's uh, definitely challenges that will be there for the next years. Mm -hmm. Yes, and something else I'd like to ask you, as you, you have seen from, from many countries, societies in, in many countries, something I discovered like 10 years ago when I was uh, working for another company and I was setting up an online shop for uh, software products. So what's checking the... How different are the payments in, in each country? It was so, I was so surprised. And I know it's still not very different. So, if, for instance, if I, if I want to enable the, the online shop in, in Finland, where there are some payment methods, if it's in Germany, another list of payment methods in France, another, if it's Australia, another. So, do you think this, the list of the, the payment methods is, has become more harmonized? Uh, between countries in, recently, how would you say, what do you say about that? I would say that globally, there's a still long way to go, but at least in EU level, there's a lot of effort to make it more standardized because as you mentioned, it's a big challenge for the online shops and uh, industries that uh, you have to have different technologies in different countries. In, in EU level, there's a lot of effort in, in standardizing the payment methods. And of course, in some countries like US, there's also some standardization, but there's a lot of incumbent players like uh, credit card companies that maybe want to sort of protect their own sort of closed market. So mm -hmm. they don't want to make everything very open. But then on the other hand, there's these big tech companies that are entering the payment arenas or are already there. So Google and Apple mm. and Facebook, they are sort of coming with their own payment services. And then of course, there's PayPal that mm -hmm. has been there for a long time already. Yes. So it's possible that these big tech companies, if they gain the big market share, that they, they will sort of create their own closed standards that are global. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so sounds like there's still <laughs> a lot to harmonize, but definitely there are, there are efforts to to make it easy for, for the customers and also for the merchants, for the ones who want to sell their products. So make it easy to okay, enable just a few payment methods and make it simple as well. Yeah, definitely, because it, it is a big challenge for the merchants to mm -hmm. implement different payment methods in different countries. There's also there's a lot of technical work there and uh, different regulations that you have to follow in different countries. So it's a challenge nowadays. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I'm sure this now this, this situation is accelerating because, as, as you have said earlier, more and more people are buying online. So, so that's a big motivation for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what is the um, so how prediction or what you see in the near future for the financial service? So, so what is coming? We're talking how is it now? So what challenges? What will you see is coming both in the on the technical side and also on the business side? So what do you see coming? So from the technical side, I would say that everything is becoming more sort of API driven and the change is already happening there. And probably there will be more, if you think about security, more security analytics and uh, analyzing the user behavior in the financial services industry, because we want to detect the sort of abnormal behavior to prevent uh, money laundering or phishing attacks or this sort of unwanted behavior. And if you think about the digital identity and, and strong authentication, I would say that probably continuous authentication and behavioral authentication are some of the technologies that are becoming more popular in the near future. And if we think about the market, I already 
mentioned about the big tech companies, of course. Mm. That in EU and US, there's a lot of effort to sort of regulate and limit the big tech companies' power. So let's see how that happens. But probably in the financial services, the financial technology companies will, the small startups will pr- probably disrupt the the market in the future and, and challenge the banks and insurance companies and payment companies. So probably the services be- can become more uh, affordable for the consumers. But on, on the other hand, for example, these big ten companies might be more interested in making uh, money with the data instead of the services. Mm. They want to analyze your purchasing behavior, for example, and uh, generate targeted marketing based on that instead of banks that are more interested in making money with the services that Mm -hmm. consumers are using. So there's, I would say that there's going to be a lot of interesting changes in the near future in in financial services. Yeah, definitely. That that last, that last thing you said that, yeah. So for instance, if the, if the big tech companies um, have more dominance into this uh, financial services and payments, well, they, they can use the other way to monetize that is well the customer doesn't pay directly but pays indirectly with their data with well personally hopefully that's not the one that that wins but but let's see in the future so yeah at, at least in eu there's uh, the consumer privacy is taken very seriously mm-hmm. but that's not the case in many other countries yes at least yet so let's see how that happens yes ilka so could you finally tell us, give us a practical advice, a tip for anybody to protect our data identities? So I would advise everyone to use password managers, for example, like LastPass or KeePass. There's many different options. So they enable you to generate strong password for every service that you are using. So if there's a data breach in one of your services that you use, then the hackers cannot use that password in the other services that you use. So usually they try to use your user account and the password combination to different services and try to gain access to those. If you generate strong passwords for all the different accounts you use online, so then that sort of data breach doesn't affect your other services. So. That's one tip. And also using multi-factor authentication is an easy way to mitigate a different type of threats like phishing or these data breaches. So those are my personal tips for protecting your digital identity. Yes, it's definitely good. To, from time to time, I, I receive emails from some service that I've been using for, for some time and, and they tell, okay, now we, have, we are offering two-factor authentication. So for everybody, uh, if you get this email, so that finally one service that you've been using is offering multi-factor authentication, you have to act immediately. So you have to enable it. And, and of course, there are many services that have been offering that for four years already. So it's been, uh, it's available. And hopefully more services will be offering more and more of that. And what is your password manager? What is the one you use? What is the one you prefer just for curiosity? I use one called LastPass, which is LastPass. maybe one of the more popular one, but there are many, many different options. Mm-hmm. For example, KeyPass is an open source mm-hmm. version. So there's a lot of good options there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Great. Thanks a lot, Ilka, for telling us all this, what is happening in the financial services with the touch with the cybersecurity and data identity 
And please let us know how people could learn more about what you've been talking or get in touch with you if they want. What would be the best ways for this? So you can contact me on LinkedIn. So I have a profile, Ilkka Hyvänen, or you can contact our, you can access our website, which is www.society.fi. You can find my contact details from there or directly in LinkedIn. Excellent. Again, it was great talking with you, Ilka, and all the best. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk About Digital Identity, produced by UbiSecure. Stay up to date with episode at ubisecure.com slash podcast, or join us on Twitter at ubisecure and use the hashtag LTADI. Until next time, 